At KeyBank, we understand what you need to run a middle market company. We bring a team of strategists and problem solvers to design and deliver solutions critical to your business's success. KeyBank offers industry expertise, investment banking and capital markets, payment automation, loans and lines of credit, plus equipment financing. Connect with your local KeyBank team. Learn more at key.com slash commercial. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Good day. We're here at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's exciting day. A little bit of the weather is kind of crazy. Uh, this is Karim Nurani, CSO of Link2, and I'm really excited today to welcome Andrew Russo, attorney, Web3 NFT reporter, as well as an expert in NFT rights, intellectual property. We're looking forward to hearing from him today. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, Andrew, and uh, then we can go into the topic conversation today. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Karim. Uh, you know, a little bit about me. I fell into this space accidentally in my form and capacity as a lawyer back in 2016, writing on this topic. And I found that from an educational context, we can never be too shy. And my passion here is making sure that millennials and Gen Z have a better understanding as to what Web3 is, what crypto is doing for the space, what the purpose of blockchain is, and how we can use these new technologies to, to move forward together as a community. Great. So actually, I need a lot of education in this aspect as well. Tell us what you mean by Web3 uh, and then how it's affecting the millennials and what are they grabbing onto as an opportunity for themselves? So the internet as we know it has been called Web 2. So think back to the, the dot-com era, the, the dot-com bubble, if you will, of having gatekeepers, the AOLs, the, the MSNs, having a secure area where you can go and browse and communicate back and forth with another party. This new form of the internet known as Web3 is a decentralized form. What does that mean? That means that you are removing the middlemen. You're removing these gatekeepers to have a more interactive, immersive, engaging environment to where transactions and communications are no longer one or two dimensional. They're three dimensional. They, they transcend beyond just a, a person to a person. So I'd like to think of it as Web3 being a, a chance to start over, do something new, bring those who doubted the the, the birth of the internet all those years ago into a new age of technology and saying, look, this is here. Let's learn it together. We're at the beginning stages. Let's have fun. Interesting. So what is really fascinating about this is if we were to wake up five years from today, or is it seven or 10 years from today, would we be viewing the world differently from our regular environment? I mean, I, I go to Google or DuckDuck or Yahoo for search that's what I'm familiar with. Five years from today, if I wake up, what will that look like? You know, it's very possible going to the Google.com as we know it today or the Facebook.com. You know, it's a very one or two dimensional landscape. So when you go to the page, you go to a static page where you see your updates, you see your news. But what if you could do more within a web page, do more within a website? 
interact on a, on a scale that you and I probably don't fully understand to, to the fullest yet. That's, that's the future. So the conversations that we could be having in the next five or six years, they will probably be looking back on, on today and saying, remember when we were talking about that, then, you know, we maybe weren't as fully prepared already, but we're here. Let's, let's re-explore that, that let's reopen the doors. And that's why, you know, one of the conversations such as, you know, a decentralized autonomous organization or a DAO, it's a hot topic right now, but we may not come back to that for another five or six years in full seriousness until we're all ready to have that conversation. So I see what's happening with the web 2.0 with, uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Yahoo, having issues, regulatory issues, privacy issues, um, spam issues, derogatory issues, uh, derogatory comments, false news, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think Web 3.0 will actually remove some of these issues or create even more issues? That's a good question. And I think the answer is twofold. On, on one front, that should be the idea, but it requires those solutions to be built. It requires people to come from Web 2 over into Web 3 who truly believe that we can fix these solutions. You know, are they magically going to appear? Of course not. But it requires people to come together and build and, and say, how can we adjust, adapt and modify the infrastructure as we know it today, where we have left gaps open, windows open, doors open to vulnerabilities, uh, you know, false narratives, fake news, misinformation and say, how can we refine this? How can we minimize it? So to, you know, on the other front, it's, it's one of those things that it just, it just depends how serious people are willing to, to come aboard. And that requires the educational conversation. So the question arises, it looks like everything is centralized today and central organizations will control this and manage this. As we move to a decentralized environment, who manages this? Everyone, the community, you, me, anyone who participates in that particular community. And that's what it should be about, of giving the voice back to the users, back to everyone. Why? Because over the years, we've all contributed to the growth of the internet. It can't just be one or two people anymore. It's not possible, it's not feasible, and it doesn't make sense. So whether it's members of Congress, Uh, colleagues with you and I here at South by Southwest, we all have a role to play and the ability to do it together and vote and decide what makes sense. That's what decentralization is about, not giving power to one organization or one, one form of big tech. Great. So let's then go a step, a little, a little um, into the realm of intellectual property rights. As we move towards this decentralized environment with the web 3.0 nfts metaverse what are some of the challenge challenges that you see with ip rights first and foremost understanding what intellectual property is right you have three categories you have copyrights you have trademarks you have patents what we've started to see in this space is is discussions coming about with respect to copyright and trademark specifically with nfts so For any copyright holder, a creator of an original work, whatever that may be, they are afforded six exclusive rights to that work, to be able to display that work, to prepare derivative work, sequels, to do with it what they want. And what a lot of people don't understand or, or look over is when you're buying an NFT or when you're in this space, just because you're purchasing an aspect of a project or purchasing an NFT 
that doesn't mean all of those rights from the the source of the project, the issuer, is transferring over to you. And in very few cases, are you actually obtaining most of those rights? Just the ability to display your purchase, to show the world that, hey, look at what I have. But that's it's very limited. That's fascinating. So the creator of the NFT, do they actually know what rights they're giving up? Or have they created subsets of rights that purchasers or acquirers do not know about? Or is this is this completely fragmented that we don't even realize what we need to do to make this authentic or or is it intentional? I think that's that's a that's a great way of putting putting it. And the answer is it's a combination of those. In a lot of cases, these issuers, these uh, creators of the work, don't always know what rights they have that they are entitled to under the law. Which brings us back to the idea of understanding when you're creating a work, what rights do you have with your work? What can you do with your work? But at the same time, for those that are aware that do have an understanding as to the legal rights that they they create or have with with that. They're able to share that. They're able to communicate that with their communities. Just, you know, not just a smart contract itself, which is, you know, a, a programmable codified contract, but also sharing with, with users and fans uh, of their community. Here's what you'll get. Here's what you can do when you do purchase it. And a lot of the, the projects that we see out there don't do a great job communicating that. So I think to your point, it's a combination of you don't know what you don't know, but you should know when you're creating a work, what rights you have with it. Because the last thing any creator wants to do is inadvertently give away the rights to something that they never should have or never were supposed to. So if we look at the law as it's structured today, and obviously it's decades and perhaps centuries old, uh, property rights law. Uh, you know, I buy a house, which I know I'm buying a property on a particular plot, which assigns me certain rights, and there's a lease to the government or no lease, depending on the country that you're from. Wouldn't digital assets fall under the same category as property rights? The lawyer answers, it depends, you know, and I'm, <laughs> most people hate that answer. <laughs> um, it depends. And it depends because it, it's all a matter of how it's characterized, right? How it's presented. And that's where a lot of people get in, into trouble is they're not presenting it in the best way that they can or should. So back to your point with, with property rights and digital assets. Yes, um, very much so it, it could. But on the, the flip is you need to make sure you're expressing very specifically what that asset is attached to, what that asset is doing, what rights are associated with it, and what rights are not associated with it. It's it's a dangerous game to play when you start to assume in this space, when, especially when you're investing in other projects. It's a very dangerous road to get on. So with the advent of digitizing everything, I mean, that's the words that everyone's using now. All assets are going to be digitized. Are we then compelled to create new laws? I think the laws that we have, uh, at least, you know, let's go back to intellectual property. We have laws that speak appropriately to copyright and trademark and patent, and they work. What we need to do is adapt and say, how can we apply these existing laws that have been precedent for 60, 70, 80 years to, to the case before us? And what's missing? Because it may not always be black and white. So where that gap is, that's where the courts and, and attorneys on both sides have an obligation to, to fight, to push and say, this might be a stretch 
But we're in 2022 now. This isn't the 1960s where it was, you know, it wasn't technology, you know, immersed. So how can we apply to the best of our ability these laws, but also make room to say, perhaps this can also apply in this specific instance, maybe not every instance, but for this particular case with this particular set of facts, maybe this can work. And it's an uphill battle, but it's a battle that's necessary because as we're getting deeper into Web3, we're going to have to have these cases. People are going to have to mess up. People are going to have to be in court. For those that think, you know, we don't think we're doing anything wrong, they need to be prepared to go to court and argue that. And they may very well be wrong, or maybe they won't be. But it forces our legal landscape to address topics that they haven't wanted to address, either because they've been on the bench for Years on years on years, refusal to address the technology before them. Either way, they have to start addressing it now. Thank you. I have one final question before we end this. I hear over and over again folks creating DAOs and creating virtual properties and people belonging to this property that exists somewhere. Help me understand that. That, uh, that baffles me still. So it's, and it's, it's a confusing topic again, because it's so new, right? We're in the nascent early infancy stages here where, you know, just as you ask anybody, what is an NFT or what is crypto? Everyone's going to give you a different answer. There is no universal response, which is, it's funny in a lot of ways, but it also adds to the need to really have a concrete understanding. So back to DAOs, a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. What does that mean? Think of it as similar to, but not the equivalent of an LLC, where it's not yet a legal entity, but a collective agreement where people come together under a, a good word, good handshake and say, we're all here together for this purpose. Let us agree to do this together and move forward in our mission of doing blank. It is just a collective agreement where people are there for the same reason to help build out whatever that cause is. So for for DAOs, a question that comes up is, can they be a legal entity? And that is a question that remains to be seen. We've seen it out with, uh, you know, the Republic of the Marshall Islands that have finally recognized it as a legal entity. So you don't have to register an LLC. It just it just is. It exists. It just exists. Because you decided. Because you collectively <laughs> decided, which brings other questions of, well, how do the courts know that the DAO is a legal entity? How do the banks know? We're still moving forward in that. But back to our earlier point of it may be a hot topic right now and nothing may come from this discussion of DAOs for another three, four, five, six years. But when we do hit that point, we're going to go back to this point today and say, do you remember when we started talking about that? Look at how far we've come. Here's what we should have done back then. But you don't know what you don't know. So, Well, I'd like to thank you. Uh, buying crypto, Andrew Rosso, attorney, Web, Web3 NFT reporter and expert. Thank you so much for being here today with our podcast at South by Southwest with link to Karim at link to hosting. Uh, if he has not raised questions for you listeners, then you got to listen to the podcast again, because he's completely confused me yet again. And I try not to be confused. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Karim. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. 
This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Head into your local Safeway for great spring savings throughout the store. This week at Safeway, get yellow peaches or nectarines for the member price of $1.88 per pound. Also this week at Safeway, value packs of Signature Farms chicken drumsticks, thighs, leg quarters, or picnic packs are buy one, get one free. Plus, get value packs of USDA Choice Boneless Beef Top Sirloin Steak for the member price of $4.99 per pound. Visit Safeway.com, download the Safeway for You app, or head in store to find more great deals at Safeway.